Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. That means you're listening to the Mystery of Parenthood, and uh, we're glad you are. And so um, before we get started, we'd like to start with, as we always do, our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Back from Thanksgiving. That was uh, was a very thankful to have the whole clan together and um it's rare that we get all nine the stephanie me the six kids and uh our beautiful daughter-in-law and um so it was really a lot of fun and some time to just sit around and talk and catch up it was awesome so yeah so i mean yeah, no, that's that really cool. cool. <laughs> so, did y'all have a good Thanksgiving too? We had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Um, got to spend it with my wife's uh, family. Oh, awesome! Um, had a wonderful meal on Thanksgiving Day. Then we went up to um, her father's side and uh, had a had a meal at at a place in Austin there. And then, uh, sorry, that was Friday. And then Saturday, we were back in Hallettsville for the Festival of Lights, the lighting of the uh, the courthouse oh, wow. there. And they always, every year they put on, um, as a part of that festival, they put on a dramatization of Christ's life. Um, oh, cool. And my father-in-law for the last seven years has, has been St. Peter. And sometimes I've been involved. And this year I was asked to participate again because they thought they didn't have enough um, apostles. And so I, I, uh, participated at the, at the last minute as one of the apostles turns That's out. Thaddeus? No, no, no. <laughs> turns out, um, turns out though we had 13 apostles on, oh, nice. on stage. And so it, uh, it turns out I was, uh, I was St. Polycarp, right? Oh, he, nice. Because All he right. decided, uh, St. John discipled St. Polycarp. So that was the excuse I made. That was my excuse <laughs> for why there were 13. He just that's happened a, to, you know, slip in. That's just awesome. checked in. <laughs> that's great. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. Always a good time. It's always good to spend time together. And it so it was wonderful. Um, and kind of getting back to where we were, we were talking. We're going through Familiaris Consortia because I think it's always Indeed. good to kind of go back Indeed. to the go back to some of the writings of Saint John Paul II, and um, and kind I mean, of he's the patron saint of our show. After all, it's his exactly. prayer that it's we his pray prayer every, that we pray at the show. beginning, and he's one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. And and um, and I think. What he has to say is is challenging, often prophetic, um, particularly since this was written in the early eighties. So it's eighty one, I believe, is what yeah, we decided. So mm-hmm. over forty years ago, and I think you'll you'll you can be amazed at kind of some of the stuff that um, he brings up because if you went back forty years, what he was seeing um, is not what we're seeing now with regard to that. But um, you can kind of hear that it transcends time. Um, so anyway, um, what we were talking about is the, the four general tasks of the family that he lists in the, in part three of the, called the, 
overall title was the role of the Christian family mm-hmm. and the four tasks. We spent two shows on the first one, which is forming a community of persons. And, um, and then number two, which we'll talk about today is serving life. And number three is participating in the development of society. And number four is sharing in the life and mission of the church. And so we're just going to move on to, um, the second task today, um, which is serving life. And the way they, the way he's broken it up is, is basically two sections within that, which I think are sometimes lost. Number one, one of the things is that, um, speaking about the family, that marriage, part of what marriage's role is, um, is to transmit life. And again, he makes reference multiple times, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to, to the fact how important theologians are to an under proper understanding of this fact. And that's part of why this show is called The Mystery of Parenthood, because we, we as Catholics, we as Christians should take seriously the fact that Jesus became man. He, uh, that mm-hmm. he is, uh, fully man while being fully God. And so we learn as, you know, he reveals to us what our high calling is and what we're called to um, as a married couple, what we're called to as individuals. But as a married couple, um, we have, we have to look at what's true about who God, how God has revealed himself and then look to Jesus as a, a at least this human dimension showing us who we are and what we're called to, and that that needs to be reflected, particularly since marriage is a sacrament. Again, sacrament. I hope everybody out there just says, "Okay, here it comes." You know, a, a visible sign or an outward sign of an invisible reality that's instituted by Christ to confer grace, and so. Part of that sign and looking at the sign is to look at the underlying invisible reality that it's meant to reflect. And again, as I mentioned before, and I've mentioned before, in marriage, there's basically two. One is the Trinity itself, and two is the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And both of those, um, well, I guess the I guess Christ and and his relationship with his with his bride is more visible than the triune God, um, but both of them are built on number one love. God is love, and love, as you'll hear over and over. I love the definition that 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 John Paul uses. It's ones it's one that I use with my family. If you're trying to decide what love is because love's an over, as we've mentioned, an overused term in our culture. Uh, you know, I love turkey. I love dressing, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's not what, what he means. What he, what he means, and you'll hear over and over if you read any of his, that love is self-gift. It's, it's a sincere self-gift for the sake of the other. And that wherever a sincere self-gift and where love is, um, life flows from that. There's a there's a connection in the invisible reality of of God Himself that is this love, this eternal self gift of the three the three persons of the Trinity of the one God um, overflows into life. And if we're meant to be as uh, icons or as images of this triune God, then wherever love is properly understood, life should follow. And therefore, it makes complete sense that that you have the second task is to serve life. And there's two aspects to it that he addresses here. So we had, we had community of persons first. Now yeah, forming a community of persons. Serving life. And these which are the is tasks like the, of the family. The task of the family. And so if you look at it, if you just kind of step back and say, okay, love, this self-gift, this union of, 
of two people in marriage is to, to work at concretely forming this communion of persons, Mm -hmm. which is meant to accurately, or, or at least humanly sacramentally reflect the unity of God, that first part. So the first thing forming a community of persons is we're meant to take on the task of, of building this community, of building a communion of persons or to be unitive. And it's, and it's meant to be an accurate reflection the best as we can in our fallen nature, but to strive for an accurate reflection of this self giving of one to the other that is the union, the, the love that God um, has revealed himself as being in and through the way we live our lives. The second part, so the first part of marriage is this unitive part, this communion of persons. The second is, because from love always flows life and there's a connection, is that we as a married couple in trying to accurately reflect this God who is love always leads to life. And therefore the second aspect of, of any marriage any family is meant to be that we meant we're meant to serve life. And the first thing he talks about is, so there's two parts of this. One is the transmission of life. And then the second part is the education of the life that you've been given by your participation in this. Yeah, can, so, I, can I quote from it? I, this, yeah, please. Um, yeah. This is the second paragraph at the beginning of serving life part two. I think this is a, really powerful passage. Thus, the fundamental task of the family is to serve life, to actualize in history, the original blessing of the creator, that of transmitting by procreation, the divine image from person to person. (laughs) We're not thinking about the fact that, that we're participating in that when we procreate that. Right. What, really was powerful for me was transmitting the divine image from person to person. Right. I mean, that's, and that's, that again, we get to be a, what that we're made a part of that. We're involved in that. hundred percent. And and actually in the paragraph before that, it's, he said, he says that God calls man and woman to a special sharing in his love and his power as creator and father mm-hmm. through their free responsible cooperation in transmitting the gift of life. All right. So, mm-hmm. so that's, this is the natural extension, which you just read is that God is actually sharing in his creative power with us. And again, we have to remind ourselves, I've, I've said this, I think it's one of the tricks. It's one of the struggles and tricks to try attempting to live a Christian life is to recall these things. Cause so much of what we do as human is just, perceived as strictly human with no connection, right? I mean, you're going you're to get married, you're going to have kids, you're going to go to work, you're going to raise the kids, that type of stuff. To not connect back to the fact that this is something that God has ordained. And so if you're married and, and, and to become aware of the fact of this high calling, that you're, you're part of what your calling is when you say yes, and we say that in the vows, right? You'd be open to life, the fruitful portion of the, of the vows, right? That, that w- that's what we're saying is that we're going to reflect this, this God in through our lives by loving one another faithfully till death do us part through good times and bad sickness and health, all, all of that. And that we're going to serve life by first transmitting life you know, providing the next image. I mean, the, the people that are next one. Mm-hmm. And, and again, getting back to the, and, you, and if you read him, there's in the, in the church as a whole, this is always this idea of, of sign the next, the next line after what you quoted is fecundity, which is fertility or the, the um, producing of offspring is, is the fruit and sign of, conjugal love of this love between a man and a woman. And so the actual, the, the offspring themselves become kind of a fruit and sign of this love between a man and a woman in the sacrament of marriage. 
And that's in, 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 in reality, if you look at it, I mean, I always try to say, look at, look at the children. They, when you look at a child, I mean, even when I look at my child or my children, I can recognize in them, in, in their, even, even though they've all been raised in the same family, I can recognize them in the way they look as being like one of my sons reminds me so much of Stephanie's brother, which means it reminds me of Stephanie. Mm -hmm. I look at, I look at other children and I'm like, you remind me both in the way you look and, and the way you act of my mother. I mean, you're, you're, you're constantly being drawn to this. They're concrete manifestations. I mean, uh, concrete signs of a union between Stephanie and I, but also between us and our families. I mean, it, it, they, they show this, they carry forward as a sign, this love between Stephanie and I, but they also, in some sense, actually carry forward the love between our parents that we came from too, because you can see in them like, Oh wow. He looks a lot like my dad or, or a lot like she looks a lot like my mother. And so they are concrete signs, this sacramental sense of looking at them. And I think that's a concrete example of the deeper theological and moral reasons that the church has to oppose. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, in vitro fertilization or, you know, uh, surrogate, surrogate motherhood, um, other forms of procreation that are that are unnatural that divorce the offspring, the children, from that connection to their right to the to their ancestors that have come before them because children children need that connection to their their family and their past. That's a part of how they work out their identity and who they are is by being able to to know those those sorts of things. Right. And I, I think I think it is important to um, and we'll talk. There's discussion later about about um, the use of technologies and stuff, which I, I'm not even sure if they were available. You know, he, he already kind of makes mention of them as we'll get to. But the idea here is, is that the, the knowledge of that a, that a child knows I, I come from these people and I can tell I come from them. I mean, if I see the Romansky kids, I could pick them <laughs> from a crowd. Oh, you're a Romansky, you know? <laughs> I mean, cause there's a look, you know, that points back to the parents, yeah. you know? And I think I've heard the cat, you know, cash in the same way. You, you gotta be related or related to your brother. And so there's this sense of this, of the material side, the physical side. There's, we know invisibly we're all, all of us are baptized into Christ, right? We all share in a participation in, in God's own life because of the baptism that we receive. That's an invisible reality in and through our family as we've brought them forward for that. But there's also this physical, outward, um, tangible, concrete manifestation that points to the same reality, mm -hmm. right? That we come from this family. Um, and I think that's, I think that's so important to remember because we take John Paul wrote a whole on theology of the body, not, not just with regard to sexuality, but just, just in terms of human existence that, you know, the fact that we come from a, from a, from a couple that we come from a man and a woman points us to the fact that we aren't here of our own volition, right? We came because of that. And that the intention is that life is meant to flow from the love of two people concretely, right? In, in, in the form of a person. And I think there's always something about the fact that the, the parents, I, I can remember as a, as a child, we, I mean, as I always say, I'm Irish and my wife's Cajun. So, <laughs> I mean, we can get in discussions that are a little louder than, than Ooh, others. Well, I but, guess that you know was saying? kind of a little bit of a damper on the Thanksgiving. <laughs> weekend. I'm just remembering that now. Oh yeah. Uh, well, anyway. we we're already we we're already done with the weekend. Yeah. But okay. uh, but but it but at any rate, um, the 
the reality is, is that our our family of origin, you, you, you threw me for a loop there. Sorry, buddy. I mean, no, I, for, I, I lost my train of thought. You're Irish. She's Cajun. Yeah, I was just saying that, that, yeah, that our, that our families carry forward. No, I, was, I know what I was going to say. I, was, I, I remember as a young child, and this is the Irish part of it, my parents, my parents would get, in, get into arguments, and, and we can talk about whether or not um, that's a good thing, but, but I, was a, I was aware of that, and my parents used to always, after they had, they had made up, would pull us all in, even as young children, and say, look, because we love each other, when we disagree on something that we believe is important, we disagree and we communicate with one another. Maybe we don't communicate as well as we should, but one thing you guys can count on, we will never get divorced. <laughs> my, my, mm-hmm. my parents always said, this is, you do not ever have, and they would remind us of that following that. And then would say, you have, um, that when you care about somebody enough to disagree, if you didn't care, you would just say, whatever. <laughs> right. And, and, and so same thing with, with Stephanie and I, when, when we disagree, we've, we've always told our kids, look, I mean, we certainly could handle maybe the way we disagree better in terms of maybe how we talk to one another. And those are things we have to work on, but the actual disagreeing on a particular subject or on how to handle a situation or whatever is part of what makes a marriage special because it means that the two have to become one, so to speak. I mean, they have to work on becoming one. Yeah. And while the way we do that probably could be improved, the fact that we do that points to when y'all get married, look, there's going to be disagreements on things. Um, and because there's disagreements, there's going to be, I need to work with you on this. It's not going to just say, well, you do things your way because we're one, we're mm-hmm. one family. Mm-hmm. And so we have to come to kind of some, some sort of middle ground. And I've always with Stephanie, I've always said, you know, we're always better together because mm-hmm. we come from different families. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different ways of looking at things. And because of that, typically I've found that somewhere in between the two of us is the right answer. Uh, if one of us or the other was completely in charge and the other one completely divested themselves and said, you just handle it, it wouldn't be handled as well um, as the two of us trying to figure out, well, what's the right way to handle this discipline issue? What's the right thing to do with this? How do we give the money? I mean, it's not all negative. I mean, how do we decide where we're going to give the money that we've been called to give, whatever. I mean, and we can disagree on that too, but then we've got to come together on that. And that's part of that building a community, right? Because we've got to be, we've got to eventually work our ways to being of one mind, which is what the church mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, the kids themselves become an outward sign of that. And even the kids can recognize in each other, well, you're, you're, you're handling that like dad or you're handling like, mm-hmm. like mom or you're more like one than the other. Mm-hmm. And the reality is when you look at a child, you can see aspects of both the, both the dad and the mom, both in terms of personality and the way they handle situations and in their looks, right? I mean, so true. it's such a cool, I mean, it really is cool way of looking at it. So they, they were transmitting life, but they're doing that. And there's a great quote here and it's it, speaking specifically to um, life. It says, I don't, I don't even, I'd have to go back and look at where this quote's coming from, but he's quoting it. It says, while not making the other purposes of matrimony of less account, the true practice of conjugal love, the love between a husband and a wife and the whole meaning of family life, which results from it, have this aim. And again, there's lots of these points where he says, this is the, <laughs> this is the aim. And this is the aim. That the couple be ready with stout hearts to cooperate with the love of the Creator and the Savior, who through them will enlarge and enrich his own family day by day. And I think that points us to a couple things. 
we're called as parents to um, with stout hearts. So again, marriage is not easy. <laughs> there, there are struggles. So you have to be stout hearted. You have to be courageous to cooperate with the love of God, the creator and God, the savior who through them will enlarge and enrich his own family day by day. And this points us to this. We are merely stewards of the children God gives us, right? We're in, we're enlarging, enriching, enriching his own family day by day by our enlarging, enriching and enriching our family day by day. So, um, and I think it's also important to, to mention this. He, he makes point to say that the fruitfulness of this conjugal love is not restricted solely to the procreation of children, even understood in a specifically human dimension. It is enlarged and enriched by all those fruits of moral, spiritual, and supernatural life, which the father and mother are called to hand on to their children and through the children to the church and to the world. And so to have this vision of serving life, starting with the transmission of life, of saying it's not just to propagate, not just to just put more children on the planet. We have this responsibility and that those fruits and that responsibility revolve around handing on the moral, the spiritual, and the supernatural life to the children. That's what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately they're not our own. They're, they're meant for the church and they're meant for this world, which is why I think we should tell our kids all the time that they have a spot on this planet at this time because God placed them here in and through our family. He placed them at this moment, at this time with the gifts and talents that they have to have an impact on the church and to have an impact in the world. They're not of the world, but they're in the world and they're meant to have that impact. And I think that's always something you got to call them to. It's not just like, hey, you need to do well in school so you can get a job, make money and and do that. Yes. (laughs) But that's not only in so far as those things serve the primary mission or the primary vocation of why they're why they're here, why they have life, why they have the gift of life. They have the gift of life and they've received these different talents and gifts that God's given them. We as parents are meant to, as part of this enriching and enlarging, to help them decipher and help recognize in them, wow, you have this gift. I can tell you have this gift. So how how does God, in the calling back, how does God want to use that gift in this world to make a difference. And you can see that I'm getting out my copy of the Second Vatican Council documents. I'm going to get on my hobby horse. Good. Um, Number 42 in Lumen Gentium, one of my favorite quotes, each one of the faithful, so our kids in this instance, must complete what God has begun by their own actions. These actions consist in the use of the sacraments in a special way, the Eucharist, frequent participation in the liturgy, application of oneself to prayer, self-abnegation, lively fraternal service, and the constant exercise of all the virtues. And that's, yeah. that's exactly what you're talking about, just a little bit more specified in how our, our reception of the sacraments, our attendance at Mass— the little sacrifices that we make, I mean, lively fraternal service, that should encompass everything that we do out in the world, our jobs, our relationships, our friendships, our associations. That's exactly what you're saying. That's the universal call to holiness. That's what this section is from. And and, And I think that we as Christian parents, as Catholic parents, need to be aware of the fact that that's what we're called to do. We can't just... We can't just say, well, you need to go to church every day. We need to teach them what they're going to do. They're going to make an offering. They're, they're going to take whatever, even at a young age, whatever, whatever they have experienced, however they've served, their, their very selves, they're meant when they go to Mass to, to lay themselves on that patent, so to speak, to give themselves completely 
to God so that that offering can be made through, with, and in Jesus Christ to God the Father. That's how we participate in God's life. We have to let them understand that the, that the Eucharist is not merely a sign of Jesus's presence. It is it is a sign, but it is also the reality of Him, body, blood, soul, and divinity under sacramental signs of bread and wine. He Himself is present in and through those. We need we need to do that so that they can become aware. It's part of. It's not just going through the motions. It's that we have a responsibility, a calling to help them do that, that they look at in the family. I think it's G.K. Chesterton said, if you, if, you, if you can't learn to love the uncle that you can't stand every time you get together Thanksgiving, how are you going to love your enemy in the world? I mean, how are you going to love the, the, the practice field, so to speak, mm-hmm. of, of, of real life out in the world is meant to be, you may have a brother or sister you don't particularly like, but you're still called to love them. You're still called to serve them. You may have personalities and temperaments that, that, that cause some friction between you in the family. That's, that's normal human existence. The, the issue is not that that happens. The issue is, do we teach the kids? What do we do about it? How, we, when we, do we teach the kids? This is how you handle that. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe the one that's rubbed the wrong way, you sit aside and say, hey, you know, I can see why this would bother your brother or your sister. You think we could, how do you think you might be able to work on that? You can't just say, well, that's just the way I am, which is one of the popular things in this world mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm, that's just the way I am. Then if it's the way you are, you need to work on changing some of that. But at the other, on the other end of the spectrum, hey, listen, you know, that's they they are they are that person and they're going to work on that but you also have to be a a brother or a sister that that has some compassion on them that has some forbearance in the way you deal with them and so that's what's supposed to go on that's how you practice virtues right um humility mm-hmm. uh, that's how you practice um even courageous <laughs> things like I'm I'm not going to respond the way and I, I mean at 57 or 8 or however old I am um goodness how old am I but uh I guess I'll be 50 we we don't need to get into it anyway, it's not bottom it's not line important. is but Stephanie still says even as recently as Saturday you know Trey you really have to work on how you respond in certain circumstances <laughs> and I'm and I and you know The reality is, is I do, right? I mean, but that's what that's what marriage is. That's what family is. And you said I'm Irish, babe. That's just how I am. Yeah, and it doesn't cut it. And it's not true. I mean, it's not true. I have I have the way I respond, the the outward manifestation of how I respond. I may be right in the fact that I'm not happy about something. Right? I mean, I may be. I, I may it may be a matter of justice, but 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 I can ruin that by the way I respond, mm-hmm. and by my anger or intensity, intensity or how loud I speak or whatever. I mean, so still working on it, and and I and again we've talked about this before. When you do that. One of the most important things you can do as a parent, whether it's because your interaction with your spouse or maybe an interaction with a child, when you mishandle it, you may be right. The person, the kid might need correction, (laughs) right? You detract from the fruitfulness of that correction to the extent that you don't respond in firm, maybe, but loving manner, right? by the way your tone of your voice or the words that you choose those type of things be quick quick to name and claim i did not handle that well this is what i did and ask for forgiveness from your children so that you can be an example to them of what of how that's supposed to look right there's nothing wrong with a parent saying i was angry I was right I was right in my in what I was angry about but I did not handle you or this situation the way I should have. So would you please forgive me for raising my voice for 
using words I shouldn't have used or whatever, whatever it is, so that they can see that quick turnaround and a real sense of, okay, that's what, that's what um, contrition looks like, right? Not manufactured, but honest. Mm-hmm. So, that, so I think that's, that's part of, that's meant to happen in the family, right? How else do you learn it? I mean, if you don't see it in the relationship between your mom and your dad, if you don't see it in, in the relationship between brother and sister or son and mother or whatever, right, you, how else do you learn it? It's, it's kind of, like I said, it's the practice field, so to speak, of, of life to go out. If you're going to go out into the world, I mean, you've got roughly, you know, 18 years of, of a child. And again, it's pitching pennies, right? Into a, into the thing. I've talked about that before. It's small comments. I mean, how might you have handled that better, you know, <laughs> or how might I have handled that better? But anyway, so, um, we, I digress, but at, at any, at any rate, children are not just people to be fed you know, with food and educated and you haven't done, done, done your job just because they're not hungry at night. They've got a hot roof over their head and, and they're going to the best school and they're doing well in school. That by itself is just one aspect of the fruitfulness. Uh, mm-hmm. Important <laughs> to, to call them to excellence, to strive to be all that they can be. But at the same point, they, they need to understand morality. They need to understand the spiritual nature of being human. And they need to know that there are supernatural elements, that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist, that you have a guardian angel with you, right? You always got to point out the unseen and remind them of the unseen realities that are as real as anything you can touch, taste, smell, feel. They're, they're there. Have to remind ourselves and them that, that those invisible realities, those invisible realities um, are equally as real. I guess the church would even probably say from its, you know, its social teaching tradition that, that none of those elements can be, can be neglected. The moral, the spiritual, the supernatural and the material, they all have to be cared for and nurtured and given attention to. It's it's not right for, I, mean, I shouldn't say not right, but the church would say it's not good for a family that's composed of two parents who can are striving to pass on the moral, the spiritual, and the supernatural truths to their children, but that's, they live in a society where it's not possible for them to provide material for, materially for their children. They should live in a society where they, they can do that. Societies right. should strive to make that possible. And he makes that families, point later, right? That that he makes that point that, that, that society should be built to help that really the place the, the mentions later in, in the same section, the idea of subsidiarity, which means yes. that, that yes. you push you, you basically the lowest common denominator should, if it can be handled at a, at a level, it should be the closest to the situation. So it should not come from certainly like federal government shouldn't come from even local government. It shouldn't come from the imposition of, of other people, schools or whatever on that, that really the place that this is meant to happen is in the family with two parents who understand their role and take seriously their role are meant to do all this um, for their children, for the sake of society, for the sake of this world, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the other people that come into contact with them, to raise them um, in all those aspects, and that we should all strive to the best of our ability. But part of that is becoming aware that that's the case. My, yep. my job is not done when I say, okay, well, I've, you know, I've raised you how to say yes sir and no ma'am and and respect again yes <laughs> it's just it's not just that it, it's more than that yeah so. exactly
exactly. So I, I love this, and and this is something you know. They always there's this sense that the that the church is outdated, or it's or it's just because it's old, right? It's been around for two thousand years. That it's and and he has this next one saying that the the church's teaching and norm is always old, yet it's always new, right? That there are things that applied two thousand years ago that still apply today, that truth exists, that the way you handle people, regardless of the situation or society that you live, there are certain principles that you live by. But the most important one, I think, is precisely because the love of husband and wife is, and this is, again, pointing back to a, a very important truth, is a unique, so a husband and wife have a unique participation in the mystery of life and of the love of God himself. And because of that, the church knows that she has received a special mission of guarding and protecting the lofty dignity of marriage and the most serious responsibility of transmission of life. And that's really pointing to the fact that he's already pointing to the fact that we have to really work at guarding the dignity of marriage, mm-hmm. not, not that, that marriage is a dignified um covenant, a, div- a dignified institution that can't just be played with. And also how, you know, the serious responsibility of, for the transmission of life. And so anyway, they go on and say that it re- reaffirms and reproposes with clarity, the church's teaching and norm, always old yet always new regarding marriage and regarding the transmission of life. And so um, that's where the rest of this is talking about it. First off, the church stands for life. Um, and, and this, again, is, is prophetic. The, the teaching of the church in our day is placed in a social and cultural context, which renders it more difficult to understand and yet more urgent and irreplaceable for promoting the true good of men and women. And so what, 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 and this really the essence of what he's talking about here is that the good of man and woman is found in and through particularly married life and it's in and through living it within the kind of theological, uh, the invisible realities it's meant to put out meant to show out there and that that's not just good for like making sure that it's protected you know it's actually good for the people participating in it um obviously as a sacrament grace is that which up you know which um raises our nature right so a sacrament gives us the grace to help us do what we can't do to 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 empowers us by a participation in that, but that we have to live out this sign. And so we have to do it. And there's this, this is a really interesting next section. Um, and this is why he says it's difficult to understand and yet more urgent and irreplaceable. It's this scientific and technical, pro- technical progress, which contemporary man is continually expanding in his dominion over nature not only offers hope of creating a new and better humanity, but also causes ever greater anxiety about the future. I think that's really interesting. He, his whole um, encyclical on, on that starts off with this, we're moving forward technologically. We're, we've got all these great advances, uh, things that have been cured, vaccines that have been given, technological progress. And while that's great in the striving for that often is like, oh, we want to make the world a better place because of this. It actually heightens this anxiety about the future instead of making it easier and more simpler. It, it actually causes that. And so there's three, he, he mentions three different people. And I think it's, I think it's interesting. He says, he says, so talking about these anxiety, some ask themselves so talking about just, people in society, some ask themselves if it is a good thing to be alive or if it would be better to never have been born. They doubt, therefore, if it is right to bring others into life where perhaps they will cur- curse their existence into, in a cruel world 
uh, with unforeseeable uh, terrors. There are people like that, right? I mean, I think now more than 40 years ago, right? Um, So that's that's one set. That's the leading edge of the environmentalist movement, I would say. Right. There's there's that. Then then interestingly, he said, uh, still others consider themselves to be the only ones for whom the advantages of technology are intended. And they exclude others by, uh, by imposing on them contraceptives and even worse means. So I, population I know this control population control, that type of thing. And, and, and actually he even goes further. He says still others imprisoned in a consumer mentality and whose sole concern is to bring about the continual growth of material go- goods finish finished by ceasing to understand and thus by refusing the spiritual riches of a new human life. And then he says, okay, all of these are tied up. There's an ultimate reason for these mentalities. And it's this, the absence in people's hearts of God, whose love alone is stronger than all the world's fears and can can conquer them all. And so this sense that like, I think the more we kind of create the sense that we're in control of our time, of our environment, of, of everything. Right. I was just thinking about the cold and being in, we were up at our lake house and was talking about my grandmother, you know, when we, we have air conditioning up there and I say, you know, it's all these window units and, and my grandmother used to not let us turn the window units during the days. That's why we opened up the windows. Well, it'd be like 85 degrees and she'd be like, yeah, I mean, what do you think we did when we were young? There was no air conditioning. We lived in Texas. I mean, the wind, we prayed for the wind to do it, like get over it. You know, how attached we get to to the stuff that we have, right, as being, as being um, there. And I, I think about that as, I think about that as well. And all of us are enmeshed in it. We're all embedded in it. Right. And so all these, all these advances, we to tend to control to, to some degree and, and, and individually to a greater or lesser degree, depending on where we are, we get attached to them and we feel like we control things. Right. And I think the more we feel like we have control, I think we become more and more aware of the fact that we aren't in control. Right. I mean, we're not in control. If the electricity goes out, that was actually a thought as it went up there. What happens if the electricity goes out? What are we going to do? You know, well, the reality is we've got to deal with it. Right. But all of it seems to be the more we think we control things, the more we become aware of what we don't control and therefore become more anxious about the fact that we may not have everything, right? I mean, you talk with your spirit, your financial advisor and like do the math. And you're like, well, okay, I mean, you can't retire for 20 years, you know? I mean, there's the future when you've got all these abilities back in the day, you wouldn't even have thought about it, but now you've got computers that can spit out, well, at this rate of return and all, I mean, you start thinking I can control this. You can't. <laughs> and, and so at some point we all have to have to, to be able to not live in this state of fear or whatever it is. We need to control the number of children born. We need to do this or that to control things so that I might not be hurt by it. We ultimately have to get down to the fact that it's God who's in control of everything. And this God who's in control of everything sent his own son to die on our behalf that we might live with him together in heaven. But at the same time, he's going to provide for us here. And if he doesn't provide for us in the way we want, he's going to provide enough for us. That that sense that God loves us no matter what happens to us, that he is there. So much of this fear is, again, being pointed at by him as saying we've lost God in our lives. We've lost a sense of this loving God who is capable of overcoming all these things that we're afraid that we can't control when in fact, it's really kind of a, a mirage, so to speak, to think that we can control the things that we think we can control. And so, yeah. And I was just, I know we have only about two and a half minutes left. I really wanted to get in this paragraph. We're going to keep talking about this by the way. Um, 
I think this is such a powerful statement, but the church firmly believes that human life, even if weak and suffering is always a splendid gift of God's goodness against the pessimism and selfishness was, which cast a shadow over the world. The church stands for life and the paragraph goes on and we'll, I'm sure we'll dig into it more, but um, that conviction that human life, even when it's weak and suffering, even when a child is born with uh, a condition that could lead to his imminent death, has uh, limbs that are not fully formed, suffers from uh, mental types of disorders or Down syndrome, what, what not, that that is still a human life and that the church recognizes that it has to stand for every single human life or it can't stand for any human life. If, 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 you, don't, if you don't make that stand, then immediately there will be no. some human life that is not as valuable as some others. As some others. Right, and then we're and do we don't want to go down that road. No, exactly. So human life, and that's that's what what they're saying here is that there there is human life in and of itself is meant to be. It is a good served. in and of itself. In and of itself, the the fact that they exist, that a person exists, is better than they not exist. I mean, because God has willed their existence. Again, it's saying that God is in charge. Right, He's the one that gives life. We just cooperate with him, right. and regardless. So anyway, and we'll we pick have, up. We we'll have pick to up there. We have to cooperate the, with the clock. So anyway, uh, hey, always. Twenty um, second. Uh, remember, the only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you, and He will. I promise. God bless y'all. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye.